Hey, thanks for joining us and welcome to the Becoming Podcast from New Life Church. We're so excited to share in this conversation with you today as we explore what it means to become more people, more like Jesus. Happy listening. I'm excited for today's interview. Yeah. Uh, John, Pastor John Tyson from Church of the City, New York. This is huge. Yeah. yeah like I, I, I think i um, probably going to get emotional a couple of times in this interview because yeah. for me, he's been deeply formational for my life. So, so what um, are we chatting about today with yeah. John Tyson? Well, we kind of, t- well, I wanted to cover a lot more than we had time for. Yeah. But talk about what does it mean to be a new Christian? Yes. How do we do that phase? So important. Prayer and the life of prayer. Absolutely. And then we touch a little bit on deconstruction, but we talk more about the secret intimacy with God. What does it mean to develop an intimacy and a thriving um, place of, uh, you know, secret intimacy with God? So yeah. It's good. I'm super excited. Yeah. You, yeah. I'm, I'm probably a bit nervous. Are you? Yeah. This, uh, I remember um, waking up this morning mm-hmm. and just being a little bit cautious. This mm. is big. This is a big one. So, You're rarely nervous, so that's really refreshing to no, see. No, I'm always nervous. Ah. I rarely show. Right. That's the difference. So here we go. Inside well, that. enjoy. Friends, enjoy. This is the Becoming Podcast where we are asking the question, what does it mean to become more like Jesus? And we hope this is a blessing to you and your discipleship journey. Remember, this doesn't replace our discipleship. Discipleship is mm. always best done in community in your mm. local church context. But mm. we pray it resources that journey as well. So enjoy. Enjoy. Well, friends, uh, welcome to the podcast today. Uh, we are joining us at the Becoming Podcast where we are starting conversations with people around the world around what does it mean to follow Jesus? How, how do we actually take seriously our discipleship with Christ? And I'm joined today uh, by someone who I admire and respect greatly, Pastor John Tyson from Church of the City, New York. Hey, John, how are you today? Yes, very good, mate. A joy to be with you and uh, excited to jump into this conversation. Yeah, fantastic. John, I realise in the whole time we've been talking, I've never actually introduced myself as Michael Hands. I've told you all about my life, but I haven't actually told you my name. Uh, so it's a good place for the podcast to start with formalities. John, um, tell us a little bit about your context. I mean, I know you uh, fairly well because I listen to your podcast. I'm aware of Church of the City, New York. But there would be people listening who aren't aware about where you, uh, where your context is or why there's an Aussie in New York talking to us on Zoom. Yes, I'm originally from Adelaide, Australia, born in Melbourne, eight years in Perth, 10 years in Adelaide, uh, moved to New York almost 18 years ago. So most of my adult life uh, has happened in New York City. Um, I love it here. I feel I felt called by God here. It's really hard to explain. It is a little bit of a sort of Pentecostal teenage dream that that came true. Uh, I've been married for 25 years. I've got an amazing wife named Christy. Mm. I've got a son who's 22 and a daughter who's 20. So I'm an empty nester out of the teenage years. And um, just, yeah, so I've been planting churches in New York, moved there in 2005, and uh, have just been trying to follow Jesus and understand how to do that well in a really secular context. Yeah, that, that would be hard. And I mean, uh, watching what's happened in New York, ever since 2020, it's been quite tumultuous time as well, John. How's your church faring? How have you gone uh, post-COVID and emerging back into the world as it is? Well, COVID, COVID was real. There's still, I think, still a lot of folks with sort of residual, residual trauma mm-hmm. or exhaustion. 
lot of folks just sort of white knuckled their way through it. And even now, I think, are starting to sort of come to terms with what happened to their hearts. I'm grateful, mate. I mean, our church is probably doing better than it's ever done in its history. Mm. Um, so we're in two locations. If you don't know New York, this just means nothing. But uh, we're in a, a public school in the Upper West Side yeah. on Sunday mornings, right in the Central Park, and then in a neighborhood called Hell's Kitchen on Sunday nights um, on 57th Street. So, yeah, two locations. Um, we're probably a third up since COVID, which means we've come all the way back and probably a third up. So I'm really grateful. I've got a wonderful team, and I mean, the the humility, the hunger, the work ethic, the love that is on the team that I lead, that that's mainly why it's the favor of God. A lot of it's answers to prayer, but working with gifted, godly people has made such a difference. And a lot of those folks are new that it's a post-COVID team. So I'm really thankful for them. And um, it's it's been a very good season for us, to be honest with you. A lot of challenges, my gosh. But by the grace of God, I think we've come through them pretty well and are really excited about about what's ahead right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's inspiring to watch. And I mean, you know that Church of the City and, and your own ministry is having a bit of a global reach at the moment. But it's uh, it's beautiful to see how God is doing something new in His church post-COVID as well. And part of the reason why we have this podcast, John, as we were saying earlier, is you know the heart of New Life Church is we wanna see people become more like Jesus. But that word become is really important for us. We, we are really passionate about answering who are we becoming more than what are we called to do. Um, as terms of our own personal formation. Um, you, you met Jess a bit earlier and she's a, she's a voice that people hear on the podcast all the time. She's awesome. Uh, but Jess was new to the Christian faith uh, recently and really found the, the, the abundance of resources lacking around some questions that she was having. So we wanted to start today. We're talking about that, that first step of what it means to come into new faith. And one of the questions I'd love to ask you is, what are the first important steps? Like someone comes to church in the city of New York, they go to Alpha, they give their life to Jesus, they're, they're, you know, they're dedicated. When you sit down with that person, what are the first initial steps? You go, okay, here's the crucial next steps for someone that's exploring faith. What's the framework or the scaffolding you put around that, that, that the infancy of their faith? Well, it would, hopefully it would be sort of like a, a holistic ecosystem. So you, you're going to need some Christian community. You're going to need some friends who will be there with you. And uh, we, we love to say how amazing becoming a Christian is. It's amazing. But the post-Christian evaluation and, you know, did I just make this up? I know it's real, but is it real? And gosh, the, the challenges and you start reading the Bible, if you've never really read it, and you're like, man, this thing's full of weird stuff from a long time ago and I don't quite get it. So I'd want to make sure they had community to walk with them, um, somebody to explain to them how to become, um, you know, someone who knows God's word, knows how to walk with God, uh, basics, you know, how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to confess your sin, how to resist the devil, um, how to love people, how to forgive. I, I, I want to make sure we, we have a follow-up course from Alpha called Beta, and it's basically, it's just a new Christians class. Um, I want to make sure that they sort of understand understand the psychological state they're in, uh, meaning, you know, th there can be an initial rush of relief, um, but they can often, you know, you can move past. When you become a Christian, you experience a deep, deep sense of meaning. A meaning void has been filled in your life. Um, but like all things over the course of time, 
that that meaning provokes as many questions as it does give you as many answers. And so I, I would want people to know this is the start of the journey, not the end of the journey. There's so much more to go. Wrestling with God is a normal part of this process. So I'd want to set them up well to understand the journey that they're getting on. And um, yeah, I'd want, and I'd want to just, I'd want them to feel loved. I'd want them to feel relief from the pressure of having to perform. You know, I wanted to, want them to give them a plan to sort of deal with the stuff that they're dragging in, mm-hmm. understand sanctification, how it's a process, and make sure they know who the Holy Spirit is and that they're not on their own. God gives us power to follow him. So it would just be like a little ecosystem of of love and care and understanding and tools to 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 get them on the way. Mm. Who, who do you think it's, I mean, just as you were talking, I was thinking, who do you think it's more important um, we, we remind and teach radical obedience to new Christians or, or Christians who have been, it's a bit of a leading question, but I do wonder what you'd think, uh, Christians who've been doing this for a while. Because I, you know, a lot of times um, we see the church start to jump the gun on, on saying to new Christians, okay, let's talk about a life of obedience to Christ. But where does that conversation play out? And where do you think we really need to be stressing obedience? I think it's, it's the, the whole way through. I mean, Jesus says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and we will come and make our home in him. Mm. That's the motivation for obedience. Mm. It's intimacy. It is uh, creating more space in your inner being to enjoy the presence of God, to be the dwelling place of God. And uh, so I think that's a lifelong quest. At first, it feels very dramatic. You know what I mean? You stop having sex with your girlfriend or stop spending all your money on dumb stuff that doesn't matter or, you know, stop being so angry. You know, it's like it feels big. This big a decisional framework to reorient your life. But the longer you follow Jesus, I find that it's it's more subtle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's um, But it's it can often be more painful because you feel like, well, I've been following Jesus so long, I've got this right. I find, just in my own journey, I've been a Christian for a long time now, almost 30 years. Honestly, it's kind of harder now than in the early days. It felt harder in the early days because there was so much change and restructuring. But I think it might be harder now because it's embarrassing. Mm. You know, if you sense God saying to you, go back and tell that person you exaggerated. You're like, oh, gosh, that's just... Uh, do I really need to do that? You know, but then the Holy Spirit gets on you. And I think it's like a fine tuning process. So obedience is the framework of our faith. Loving obedience and surrender is there the whole way through. Um, but I think you feel it a little bit more at the start. Yeah. You, John, you, when did you become a Christian? You were, you were a teenager at the time? Yes. The weekend I turned 17, at, um, at, it was an event called Wonderfest. It was, a, it was a Hillsong Youth Alive New South Wales combo event uh, called Wonderfest, and we called it Wonder Flesh <laughs> because it was just like a lot of teenage activity happening there. Yeah, yeah right. Henry Slee, who was, I think has been on this podcast at some point, he was one of my best mates growing up, and a guy named Lee Eden, who's a pastor in, um, in Victoria, we drove a car from Adelaide to Sydney surfing along the way wow. to end up um, – and anyway, just that that whole that framework, the Pentecostal youth framework, changed my life. Yeah, and you know, I think the way you come into the kingdom impacts your understanding of the kingdom a lot. 
And um, so, yeah, I, I basically went from someone who couldn't care less about God, faith. Uh, I dropped out of high school when I was 16. I did an apprenticeship as a butcher. I started working at a, at a butcher shop when I was 14. And I just wanted to make money and surf and party. That was the meaning of life. And um, I just met these these young people through a, through a young woman who loved God more than I loved sin. Mm. I just didn't, I'd never thought of love as the framework of faith. Wow. It had always been, it had always been morality or, you know, ethics or meaning or some, some other thing. But these people just loved God more than I love sin. And uh, I was provoked to jealousy by it. I was like, what, what is this? You know, I think I'd seen a dead poet society and I was like, I want to suck the marrow out of life. And, and um, I just saw these people who loved God more and it really drew me in. Very cultish, freaked me out as well. I was like, oh, gosh, they're all speaking in tongues. It was just a bit much, bit, bit much. But then um, just had an encounter with Jesus where I just, it's very hard to explain. I, I, my, my conversion sounds heretical because I didn't become a Christian because I felt guilty for my sin. I didn't become a Christian because I, I felt I needed a savior. I learned that really soon, but I became a Christian, I think like the disciples did when Jesus said, drop your nets and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That was an upgrade of life vision. You're gonna go from fish to people. And I basically just felt everything I've been looking for is found in Jesus. It was basically the fulfillment of a quest. It was like, Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, if he's in a most being will flow rivers of living water. That was like that experience. Mm. This is C.S. Lewis, Zane Zucht, like the, the longing, the, the piercing stab of joy. He calls it joy, which is like that profound sense of longing for the source. That's why I became a Christian and all of my desires were fulfilled in Jesus. And then when I tried to follow him, I was like, oh, I can't do this. And I was like, oh, man, that's the cross. That's why he died. You know? But it was really, that's how it happened. You touched on something there. I just, I want to drill down on, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the idea of bounded sets and centered sets, but like this idea of sometimes the way we talk about Christianity is you're in or you're out. Um, and you're in once you've confessed your sins and declared Jesus Christ as Lord. But you just seem to outline a different process, something that I've been wrestling with myself. So selfishly, I'll ask this question. You seem to insinuate that becoming a Christian means choosing to follow Jesus, not necessarily the declaration of his full identity as Lord. Um, and I, I'm, I'm actually quite, a guy named John Ottberg wrote a book called Soul Keeping and, and, and did, did a bunch of work on this and talked about, uh, it's, it's about the direction of our life, not in or out of our life necessarily. Could you unpack that a little bit more? Like when you're saying your own conversion experience, what, what you seem to be, if I'm hearing correctly saying is, I chose to follow Jesus. It wasn't necessarily, I was grieving my sin. Although that came, that's an important part of the conversion process. It didn't begin there. Um, do you reckon that's more common than we think? You know, uh, the the anatomy of the soul's conversion is very hard to map because there's so many things happening inside of you, spiritually, socially, psychologically, culturally, developmentally, it's really hard to pinpoint here's what was happening. Mm. Um, I will say this. Uh, so I'm not a Calvinist. Um, I, so I, 
my framework is 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 not it's reformed in the big sense but not in the uh, soteriological sense um so i you know it's not like i was completely spiritually dead um you, you know like that I, I wrestle with that framework because it just it doesn't match so many people's experience including many of the people in the bible um so i don't i don't know how to explain it but god's prevenient grace perhaps or he was waking me up. He was drawing me in. There was a deep dissatisfaction. He was, I feel honestly more like Augustine, you know, which is the, the restlessness of the heart, the like, this is not it. That sense that I was made for something other than this. I, I, I was thinking uh, last night as I was going to bed about that C.S. Lewis quote, where because I'm getting ready to preach for Easter, where he says, if I find within myself a desire which nothing this world can satisfy, it's a good indicator I'm made for another world. And that's the best way to satisfy it. It's a, well, it's a, I think Peter Kreef calls it the apologetics of longing, the apologetics mm, of desire. That's great. I, I think that was true for me. So, look, how do you know? I believe, I believe um, that you have to be regenerated. I believe yeah. um, that you have to be saved from your sin. I believe there's a decisive moment of conversion from death to life. I do believe this. The process is murky existentially it's experientially murky to sort of articulate it i do know there was a moment where um i came alive in jesus i remember walking into a meeting and walking out and i'm like your boy is following jesus like that was it but that process that led me up to that you know i was conflicted i was longing i was hungry i was repelled i was stuck in sin wanting to be you know it was a really messy process man so I don't know. It would take someone uh, of more theological precision than me to sort of really lay that cast out. So I would say, look, I'm a, I'm a conservative evangelical for the most part. I don't know what that word means anymore, but when I look it up historically, I have to say I think that's where I fall. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not a Pelagian. Um, I, it's messy, bro. I wish it was clearer. No, Here's I, my vision. I think you're on, I'll say I think you're on the right thing, which is Jesus said when I'm lifted up, I'll draw people to myself. There was a great drawing in my life to the person of Jesus. It's a very strong word in Greek, the, the draw word. It was almost like a, a, a compulsion of longing towards Jesus. And I don't think, I think we have done a lot of damage trying to give people either false assurance or putting up barriers to assurance, telling people you're in or you're out based on either a prayer they've prayed or a thing they've done mm. or even an experience they've had. I think we should continually be working out our salvation with fear and trembling yeah. in the process of sanctification and just keep moving towards Jesus from wherever we're starting with all of our hearts, you know. Yeah, and I, and I wonder if God's a lot more comfortable with the mess than we are, right? Uh, we wanna we wanna nail it down and have a formula and, and work out when is it and all this stuff. But in my experience, it's it's a lot more messy. Um, and you read the Bible, it's, it's a lot messy. I mean, I think even St. Paul's, um, uh, conversion. It, it's messy. It wasn't like even instantaneous necessarily until, you know, he, he, he was visited and led and, and healed of his blindness and stuff. It, it, it was different. Yeah, what, one question is to finish on that section, John. If you go back to 17-year-old you mm-hmm. and you could, you could say anything to him at the start of your journey, what would you say? It's going to be better than, it's going to be better and harder than you think, mate. Mm, yeah. It's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a, a brutally violent struggling against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Yeah, and it's gonna be, 
an absolutely staggering, glorious, miraculous, wonderful life. Uh, it's both of those things at the same time, man. It's, it's, it's. Uh, my life has just been drenched in the grace of God. I mean, my, I can't believe my life. I didn't earn it. It's all a gift. I, I often say to our church, God. Um, chooses us in Christ before the foundation of the world, however you interpret that passage. Or Jesus, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Okay. Then he gives us the Holy Salvation as a gift. Then he gives us the Holy Spirit as a gift. Then he gives us spiritual gifts as a gift. Then he empowers us as a gift. Then he puts amazing good works in advance, which he prepares for us to walk in, that he gives us power to walk in. And then we get to heaven, which is a gift. And then he gives us a new creation, which is a gift. And then he rewards us for choosing us, saving us, gifting us, crafting out a path for us and empowering to live it out. And I'm like, if you know of a better deal than that, mate, please come tell me. <laughs> that's about as good as it gets. That is. You know? No, listening to you talk about that gets me ready to preach Easter myself, so that's good. Um, John, one of the things you're, you're passionate about at Church of the City, but also in your own life is just prayer. Let's say someone's starting this journey of faith. Where, where do they begin on the journey of prayer, this language, this relationship with God? Well, what, would you, what would you say? Well, I think in some ways prayer is the most natural thing and it's it's the hardest thing. I think it's the hardest thing because mm. it's it's the most spiritually contested practice of our life. You know, if if the enemy can stop us praying, he can sever us from the source of everything we need. All fruit comes from abiding. It comes from remaining in Jesus' love. And so if he can cut that off, he doesn't need to worry about anything else. He's not he's not worried about busy, working, self-righteous Christians trying to serve Jesus in the world in their own power. That's not a threat to him. He'll just let them burn out slowly on their own. I think the threat is to sever it at the source. So you've got to realize it's very contested. And um, I'm a big believer in learning to pray the Bible. That's how you learn to speak when you're a kid. It's mimetic. You know, you just, you, we hear words, we hear phrases, uh, we repeat them, and then we impute meaning to them, and they take on an experience around us. And I think that's what... Um, prayer is like. So I'm a big believer in praying the Bible. Um, you know, take a little section, take a psalm and just ask a question, sit with it for a bit, reflect on it, pull out a thought from it and then pray it. Mm. And, you know, I, this morning I was in John 9. It's this scene where Jesus um, heals the blind man and he gets kicked out of the synagogue. Mm. And um, Jesus says to him, do you know who the son of man is? And he says, I don't know. So it was, A, it says when he found him. So here's Jesus on earth. He's got a very limited time frame and he dedicates at least a day to trying to find one man who was kicked out of the synagogue. I mean, the, the values of heaven are extraordinary. And then when he finds him, he's already healed, but Jesus says, do you know who he is? Uh, and um, and the, the word that he uses, the word, so there's three Greek words for see. And the one that he uses is about revelation. So he's been physically healed, but he hasn't been spiritually alone, mm. spiritually healed. Now he gets to see. Man, I'm having my mind blown. I've read this so many times and I just take that and I write out four little points from my heart. Number one, Jesus, please change my heart from thinking that, that big is better, that public is better. Jesus, you show me that one man in a city is what you're looking for. Help me to just love people and that be enough. So that's just that's a prayer from the Bible. Then I'm like, Lord, please help me to love people who are outside of the official religious system. The Pharisees kicked him out and that 
upset Jesus. So he goes and rescues him. Lord, please give me your eyes for those who don't feel like they fit into the religious system. Mate, I'm caught up in glory. But it all, if I had to rely on my emotions or thoughts as all of the fuel for prayer, I'd, I'd pray for my own needs and run out in about a minute and run out of stuff to say. But when you pray out of God's word, it's Bonhoeffer who says we should pray for the riches of God's word, not the poverty of our spirit. And that, that's it. So nothing's changed my life with prayer like praying the Bible. Take a psalm, pick out one or two words. You know, Psalm 73. It's a bloke looking at the wrong Instagram or TikTok feed. Oh, the wicked just having such a great life. Why am I bothering with God until I stepped into the sanctuary? You know, you're, you're the, the portion of my heart, my portion, strength of my heart. Well, then you just pray that. And, man, that'll, that'll lift you off, you know, a conversation with God better than anything I know. So that's the one piece of advice I try and get people. Pray from the riches of God's word. Wow. It will sustain you beyond your boredom, your personal requests, your own season, your own struggles. And it would give language. This, I mean, the, the Psalms, man, the language of the Psalms is so rich. You know what it says in one passage? He, he stores our tears in a bottle. This is a God who keeps record of our tears. He's near to the brokenhearted. He saves mm. those crushed in spirit. I mean, these things are as beautiful words have ever been written. So savoring that, marinating on it, praying it back to God, using it as the fuel. I don't know of any practice more life-giving for myself and sustaining than that. That's very powerful um, and rich too. I, I think for me, I remember the first time I prayed, it was Ephesians, Ephesians 3. Uh, we were at a 24-hour prayer event 12 years ago now. And uh, one of the ladies in our church, Gail Boyle, just taught me how to pray through the Bible. And I thought at first it was gonna be the most boring experience. Um, Cause like you just read the text and then you're done. But then <clears throat> it, you, you're right, it just opens stuff up. You, you, even line by line, you just start to recognize, man, this it actually goes into the soul in a way which is powerful and beautiful. Yes, we, we do, I, we've got a very, I've got a very uh, hungry and humble team. And I've got two full-time pastors of prayer. So they just, what they do is they, they build a culture of prayer in our church. So once a month they do all-night prayer, okay? And um, they pray from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Now that sounds impossible. And if you had to try and lock yourself in a room and pray out of your head, you'd last 15 minutes. But they just they just pray through the Bible. I was at the all, the New Year's Eve all night one, and we prayed Psalm 24, and that was it. Seven hours in Psalm 24. And it was a bit rough at 3 a.m. You know, there's always a bit of a, 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 a challenge in time. <laughs> I was so caught up in revelation and glory, mate. It was honestly like an out-of-body experience from praying God's word. The level of revelation I was getting from this passage. And it's one of the key passages that's been used in revivals. You know, the Hebrides revival was the young man who may ascend the hill of the Lord. It's been a definitive revival psalm. And I'd sort of forgotten that because I just had a bunch of stuff coming up uh, leading up to New Year's. And so I just, I can't encourage that enough. Get in your room, pick a little section. And I think one, one thing I think is very important just to add on this is, a lot of people read it and they get a little nugget out of it 
And then they put it down like, oh, wow, I got a little nugget. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not a little little idea or a little thought. That is a doorway into the presence of God. Go knock on that door and see what's on the other side of it. And that's where prayer begins. He gives us the revelation from the text as an entry point of communion with him, not just to fill our minds with a new little idea. And I would say that the one way that's born more fruit is you get that little nugget and then in through that door, mate. That's where the riches are. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, for those of you uh, who are listening who don't aren't aware, um, I think John, your church provides the the world with a great resource here. You pre- did a prayer series, what, it'd be four or five years ago now, um, and it changed my own understanding of prayer. One of the things you said back in that time was, you know, I was church planning, I was discouraged, I was trying to pray more than I could, and um, I was, my wife was pregnant, and you said this line that just changed. You said, "Hey, when you when you start this, uh, um, it was just I remember just feeling." guilt for not praying enough. And you just said this line that released me. I don't know why I'm getting emotional about it, but you just said, hey, pray what you've got. Pray what you've got. And I remember just even that, the permission of the seasons when we feel like I don't have five hours to pray. I don't have two hours. I don't have half an hour. It's like, today, pray what you've got. What do you have? And I remember as a, back in those days when I was struggling through a hard time with time, trying to, my first kid and all this stuff. It was, it was I, I think we treat prayer as a labor rather than as a joy and a delight. And when you pray what you've got, what I've found is your prayer life grows because you start to recognize it's uh, the Father wants to spend time with us, not, not yeah. oppress us, not, not, not yes. in this moment where it's like, it's meant to be painful. I know Keller would say mm-hmm. prayer is one of the hardest things he ever does and also the deepest joys he, he has. I'm like, yeah, you feel that. Um, yeah, Beatnikov's prayer, a longing after the marvelous. Mm. He said, like he said, how do you describe your experience of prayer? A longing after the marvelous. And I think that's I think that's true. I woke up this morning mm. pretty early. Um, my wife's, you know, is going out of town today. And I was up early and I and I just had this thought, and here's the thought. Prayer, that's where the action is. That's where the action is. You are having, if you can really see what's happening here, which you have to do with the eyes of faith, I'm going before the throne of grace to find mercy and help. I'm invited here. I can come with confidence and boldness. I can just rock up. And uh, I'm praying to someone who has unlimited wisdom and awareness of everything that's happening, the future and the past, knows my place in it, has power to act. So it's not in vain. It's not just like a psychological self-soothing. Um, Dang, I should do this more. That's what I was thinking this morning. Not out of duty, like I'm longing after the marvelous. You know, Lord, please increase that in my heart. And, and I'm with you, man. I'm in a very, very intense season the last three weeks. I mean, acute burden. I mean, overwhelming. But I'm just like, Lord, this is going to, I can't live my normal prayer schedule right now. This is all prayer. Uh, uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel, the rabbi, um, when he walked with Martin Luther King in Selma, he said this, my legs were praying as I was walking. And I thought about that. Sometimes my prayer has to be doing the paper as a student for the glory of God. Here's the prayer. I'm praying as I'm writing or typing that paper. When you're a stay-at-home dad or a mom, you know, you're changing the kid's diaper at 3 a.m., my prayer, I'm praying as I'm diapering. Nappy, sorry, mate, been here too long. Come on. Uh, you know, it's it's that it's it's that it's weaving God into the everyday, and um, 
Anyway, pray what you've got. That's a good reminder for my own heart. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, you know, John, I feel like I could drill down just on each one of these topics. I'm like, let's take the next five hours of our life. I don't have five hours, you don't. Um, I wanna just move now just to talk about our culture at the moment. And I think a lot about, you know, new Christians and even current Christians. How, basic question that you know you've probably answered many times. I'd love to just have here. How, how, how do we live in a culture which is dominating us? How do we live in a culture and of the culture at the moment? Um, you, you talk about it a lot, but I mean, everyone talks about it a lot that's, that's thinking through this stuff. Our cultural formation is stronger than our spiritual formation at the moment. It doesn't have to be that way, um, but it is. And I see new Christians come in and the, the weight now of what they have to undo in their cultural formation seems far higher in, in, in some days than I remember it being when I was, I was younger. Um, I'm still pretty young. So how, how do you do that? How do you live in a culture and not of the culture and become part of the kingdom? Well, I think that I think that's the real question. Um, the question is about who we're becoming. We've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's our ultimate destiny. Um, you've got to have a conviction that the way of Jesus leads to life, and that the way of Jesus will both. You know, this is sort of Keller's influence, but I think a firm and critique every cultural moment. There's going to be things in every situation that are good, and every culture that are good and can be affirmed and bad that must be rejected. So I think number one is just like asking how did I, who, who did I, how did I become the person I am, and how do I become the person I want to be? And the number one thing Jesus does is he opens the door of possibility. He opens a door beyond the confines of secularism. Uh, Charles Taylor talks about the malaise of imminence which basically means, I, I mentioned this in my talk last week, I think, there's two views on, on um, secularism. Christopher Hitchens' view is that when you get rid of God, it's getting rid of a celestial North Korea. It's like, oh, good riddance, this controlling person. It's like the thought police is going to punish us in hell forever for having it. He can read our thoughts. There's no way you can be free from the celestial North Korea. So the death of God is a gift. And then you get Camus, whose vision was like, we're actually all cosmic orphans and this thing is absolutely pointless when you really think about it. And uh, it's, a, it's a vision of despair because there's no meaning. And then it's a crushing burden to have to invent your own meaning. Talk about a burden on a heart. You have to be your own source of light, joy, hope, meaning, morality. And the the initial version of that feels like liberation. The first phase of that, um, you know, Augustine says, whenever you throw off restraint, it feels incredible at first. The relief, you're trying to eat healthy and work out and you stop doing it, you're like, who cares about that? You know, it feels amazing. But then over the course of time, when you get into that freedom and it's effective and you, and you really contemplate it, I think a slow despair sets in, and that's the malaise of imminence. I, I read an article this morning on, it's called, Why is the Human Race Getting Sadder? And I was like, it's getting sadder because we're coming to the inevitable conclusion um, that we're just accidents here, dominated by impulses that we can't control in the choice architecture of giant corporations harvesting our attention and selling it back to us as a false version of freedom. And we're waking up to it and it's not that good. And back in the day, sex used to be mysterious and now it's just porn and it's technique and body parts. 
and the family's broken down because people are selfish and it's, and we're just like there's got there's a there's a fatigue of freedom and so that and that's what Taylor calls a malaise of imminence. We've taken the telescope apart and we can't remember how to put it back together and we can't see the stars. So what Jesus does that is life-giving is he opens a door into another life and that is the realm of the spirit and that's when we, we see things differently. We're lifted just from a, a harsh materialism. We're lifted back into a world of meaning and intent and purpose relationships and um so you've got you've got so you've got to see that for what it is it's an invitation into life so uh, to number one you've got to evaluate the culture i think as a whole we're seeing the culture is left us wanting and that's why i think um being faithful to jesus is going to get better and better and better because we're going to see that the way of Jesus ultimately leads to life. All the social science is inmate on this stuff. No one talks about it enough. You you cannot achieve happiness by the direct pursuit of happiness. Mm. You can't get it on a giant quest. It's an it's an adjacent thing. It comes through. It's a byproduct of other things, many of which fall into the category of philosophy and religion as opposed to secularism. So. Yeah, I think, I think we've got to evaluate how the culture shaped us. I think we're in a very good moment, a turning moment where the culture is more tempting and formative than it has been, but we're seeing that it's deformed us. It's made us miserable in spite of all of its promises of freedom and happiness. And people are starting to look for other things. And if we can keep the doors open, if we can preach the word, if we can invite people to Jesus, I think it's going to lead us to life. So that's the so it's, I'm, I'm a, I never give a short answer, mate. So number one, that's a long answer on why I am, why the culture has been more formative, but I think we're starting to hear the early signs of the the death of secularism. Yeah, yeah. The early signs of it's not enough. It's 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 been very formative, but it's probably overplayed its hand. Secondarily, I think we have to um, we have to be aware that the alternative to secularism is not religion. Religion's a disaster. Mm. Religion is secularism, but without any of the joy and fun. Do you know what I mean? So it's just like a self-righteous yoke of sadness and performance that doesn't fulfill. So I think that's why we've got to talk about following Jesus um, as the good news. So, yeah, what's formed me? Who do I want to be? I think people don't want to be what the culture wants as much anymore. And uh, I think people are going to start saying, what else is there? And if you've studied history, which I, I'm sure you know this, we're very, very ripe for a movement of the spirit. The Jesus movement came in the 60s in a time of war, destabilization, uh, a gorging on post-traditional morality. You know, that was the, the whole countercultural movement. And a bunch of people were like, what else is there? And then Jesus came along and there was the Jesus movement. And I, I believe we're in the very early stages of, of a great turning like that. Yeah, in our time, hey? Definitely. Yes. John, conscious, conscious of our time together today, I just want to finish with one last question. Um, I just want you to talk about, there's this term that you'll hear in Christianity called the secret place. Um, what is the secret place? And why, why have you found it to be so vital for your own walk with Jesus? Well, it's Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Bob Sorge had this insight. And I just remember reading this and just saying, oh, that is life-changing. He said this, what if there was a place I told you 
that every time you went there, you could meet God because God has self-identified, revealed to the human race that that's where he can be found. And so when Jesus says, and your father who is in the secret place, you're like, whoa, whoa, that's where God is? He's in the secret place? Well, I want to get to the secret place. Um, the challenge of our world today, the world says your best work is done in the public place, public performance, public fruit. Um, Jesus says your best work is done in the secret place between you and God. And uh, the secret place is where we drink the water of life. It's where we feast on the bread. It's where we're welcome to the table of grace. It's where our soul is satisfied as with the richest of fare. It's where the tired and the weary can come and buy milk and wine without cost and feast. Mate, who doesn't want to get there? It's intimacy with God. It is communion. It is communion with God in the deepest part of who we are. I think the great mistake people make is thinking that God is out there somewhere. And in some sense, um, because of the omnipresence of God, it's true. But Jesus says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. It is a, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a new age turning into the self. There's an explicitly Christian turning to communion with Christ who is within us. Mm. There's a communion with Christ within. So I'm not going inwards to find myself. I don't, I'm not that interested in myself at this point. I'm quite, quite aware of who myself is. I'm turning inward to have communion with Christ. And so it's that ability to go into a place of inner communion with Christ where you are, you're caught up in glory, where you're humble, where you're convicted, loved, encouraged, you're nourished, you're sustained, you're fed. I mean, it's, it's the stuff of life, mate. I mean, it's, it's hard to explain. You know, I try, and, I try and put it like this. Um, you know when you see a really moving movie, like you, you leave a movie theatre or watching something on Netflix and at the end of it, you're in a different state and you think to yourself, I wish I could maintain this awakened state I'm in, nice. either of longing for adventure or humility and love towards my spouse or a hatred of injustice. Well, the secret place is like entering into that state after a movie through the word of God into communion with Christ. And that's the best way I can explain it. It's, it's meditation on his word. It's sitting in silence. It is enjoying. It's beholding the beauty of God. It's, um, it's mystic sweet communion, mate. That's what they call it. And that's what it is. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to put into words because it is, it's not a technique. And it's not just some sort of charismatic experience. It's the communion the Bible offers. God is wanting to get closer and closer and closer and closer. The metaphors of the Bible are on closer and closer. God starts as a creator. Um, then he becomes, you know, he's, he's a friend. He's a shepherd. He's a bride. But then we're a part of the body, mate, you know, and... It's, so, again, I'm not being very clear because it's hard to be clear. I'm trying to cultivate desire for people to want to go explore and uh, get into the presence of God. It's, it's what, what the Apostle Peter says, where he says we have these great and precious promises, and through them we can escape the corruption of the world and its lusts, and we can participate in the divine nature. 
And it's, it's like being caught up into participation in the presence of God. So it's not, I, I say to people, I don't do a quiet time, though sometimes it's quiet. I call it devotions, man. This is when I am dipping my heart in the love of God. This is where I'm being healed. This is where I'm getting caught up in worship. This is the great reorientation of myself and being. You know, quite often my prayer is very simple. It's, it's just like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, my glorious God. That's it. That's it, bro. And you're caught up in meditating on who the Father is, in awe of who Jesus is, in awe of who the Holy Spirit is. My glorious God. You're my God. You are glorious. And then that's, you know, I'll meditate through that and then receive from God. And, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's the stuff. Yeah, I think I think you nailed it, John. I, you know, I, the even idea of it being a secret place, you know, it's what you did then is exactly what I think we need, a longing for a secret with God. It's not the secret, which, you know, which cult phenomenon book, yeah. but the idea of actually we should have a, a quiet, private, secret relationship with God that is only known because people see the fruit of our life. Um, but not because we tell them what's happening in that place. Uh, and I remember when you spoke about it a couple of years ago and you said, there are, things that, there are things that happen between me and God that I will never share because they are for me and God alone. And I was like, that, that, what that did for me in that moment is I want, I want that relationship with God. I want a relationship that there are things that, you mean, you think about the amount of times Jesus withdrew quietly to be with the Father. Yeah. And, yes, and yes. the amount of things he, he probably never shared with his disciples, why? Because it wasn't, it wasn't about output. It wasn't just about, I've got to get more content to give out. It was, it was about relationship, to, to, for lack of a better word. And John- um, Well, I, yeah, I was gonna say my, you know, I worked in a butcher shop for six years and I was you know, very inspired by Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of God. And I was just like, how do I make Elizabeth South Meat Store a portal of the kingdom of heaven? So I would go in at four o'clock. I worked super early. I'd get down on my knees before I, you know, I had keys to the shop. I would sharpen my knives and I would lift them to God. And I would say, Lord, if nobody else on planet Earth is aware of me chopping up chickens and lamb today, I'm doing it for your glory. May this ascend like an offering before heaven to you. And then I would be, you know, cutting up pigs in the fridge. And mate, the presence of God would come down. You know, and I've had encounters with the presence of God in the secret place. Um, so, I, so I, you know, I was just at the Asbury Revival, okay? Mate, manifest presence. I mean, I can't articulate it. What we've all read about in history, I watched that with my own eyes. But then I was reminded I had encounters with the presence of God that strong in the butcher shop. It's like, listen, mate, God comes where he's wanted. If you want him in your life, if you, are, if you hunger and thirst, you know, if you, if you hunger and thirst for God, you will be filled. That's a promise. And um, I, I had this one in, encounter in the prayer room in New York. There's three people in the prayer room. And I used to take my lunch break on this bench on, uh, in Elizabeth 
and just sit there and read the Bible when I was a teenager. And I would have these visitations of God, mate, on this bench. If you came up to me, you'd be like, this guy's out of his mind. It was just the presence of God in this park. I'm in the prayer room and I just walked in and I felt God say to me for one hour, I really liked it when you sought me like that. But it was waves of liquid love saying that phrase again for an hour. I really liked it when you sought me like that. And it was just a reminder, don't chase the public shiny stuff. You know, don't get caught up in, I'm in your heart. I'm with you. If you want me, seek me. And I think that has been the great secret of the saints is they had a contentment with God. It wasn't their output. It wasn't their ministry. It wasn't what they were known for. In fact, they, they, most of them probably felt like that was a distraction. There was such a richness of intimacy with God. So I say to people, you, we, you said we were going to talk about deconstruction. We've run out of time, but I'll just say this. Um, I don't think I can, I might be able to deconstruct my experiences of church because everything that is divine when it is run through human lenses is prone to corruption and distortion. But the encounter I've had with God in my soul, I can't deny it. And here's why I can't deny it because it's so satisfying. This is, this is why I was put on earth to know God. This is eternal life to know you, you know? So if, if I, I think that, you know, if, if my life sort of wound down and I, you know, I tell people I, and I had to go sell Harley Davidson's and live in the woods in Pennsylvania. I honestly, I don't say this lightly. I honestly think I could be just as happy having a secret life of prayer, living in the woods, communing with God through his word as I am preaching four times on a Sunday in the middle of New York city. Mm. It's because the, the center is what's so rich. Yeah. It's the, it's the fulfillment of all desires. The Catholics call it. So I just want to encourage people to seek God, go after God himself, not the byproducts of God, not the fruit of God. God himself is the goal. He's the pearl. He's the treasure. And when you get that, you joyfully liquidate everything else in pursuit of that. So if I can get any message across, it is this, go seek the living God. He's waiting for you. He's better than you think. He's worth the cost. And uh, you'll find the fulfillment of all desire as Christ promises. Yeah. John, we have run out of time, but I'd just say to people, if, if stuff you've said today has been helpful, you're, you, you put out a wealth of resources. You've got a ton of books. Uh, you preach most Sundays at Church of the City, New York, and um, it's been a blessing to me. So, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. No worries, mate. What a joy. Welcome back. That was a great interview, Jess. Wow, that was amazing. I'm in awe of John Tyson. Seriously, I'm all like, I want him You're to fangirling be. I'm fangirling. I could have cried that entire hour that you both were speaking. Why? He just is such a wealth of knowledge and he's, it's unbelievable that he is, has been a Christian for 30 years. Mm. So that's, I mean, that's a, a three decade, that's such a long time. Yet he understands the struggle and what it's like to be a new Christian. He unpacks it so well. And as a new Christian, being surrounded by mature Christians, I struggle with a lot of things, like tr like sort of transcending from my old identity into this new one. And I feel that shame of that struggle and it's hard to talk about amongst mature Christians because I don't want to look like I'm struggling. Mm. 
So it's so nice to hear from someone who's been a Christian for 30 years and he understands that and he can empathise with that, that early journey. Um, yeah, it was amazing. And I, I loved how he unpacked. I mean, you guys spoke about prayer for quite a bit in that um, conversation. And I feel so relieved to hear about, you know, even you said like, pray what you have. Mm. I, I struggle with prayer a lot. I fear that I'm not gonna say the right thing. And so we're currently in our Catalyst course. I've been blessed to be accepted into the Catalyst course with New Life. And one of the days on retreat, so we start the morning with lighting a candle because that is the a symbol of that God is with us. And you asked me to do that. So I, I got up in front of the class, <laughs> I lit the candle. I have fear of just even lighting candles. And then I was about to go sit down and you asked me to pray. Yeah, it was, it was cruel. From, <laughs> it was cruel because I have a massive fear of praying and praying in front of a crowd because I'm just like, I don't know what to say. But did you? I did because- and did you nail it? Yeah, you did. I don't know whether I nailed it. But well, what's, the, what's the verse in Matthew about don't pray in front of crowds, pray, pray privately. Pray, 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 yeah. I remember when I read that and I thought, who wants to pray in a crowd? That is my absolute biggest phobia. That's my biggest fear. I don't want to pray in front of a crowd. So when you asked me to pray in front of class, which was around 30 people, which would have been the biggest group that I've ever prayed in front of, massive anxiety, just massive anxiety. But the presence of God is good. The grace of God is so good. And I got through that minute that I prayed but it was just such a nice reminder from John to pray what you have and take away that pressure of saying the right thing. Just take, pray take what you've got. Take away the performance. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. And I, like, I mean... How do you feel about that, that conversation? Oh, I loved it. But, but I think for me, even the prayer thing, well, John, the conversation with John reminded me and, um, and I continue, prayer is rough. It is. It's hard. Yeah. Because it's so important. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And he makes that claim, you know, if the devil can see for your intimacy with God, mm. half the battle is won. I, I was really convicted. He said that thing. He said, mm. the devil's not worried about busy Christians. Yeah. He's not worried about Christians that are busy. Yeah. Why? Half the job's done. It's, yeah, it's and so true. I, just I felt convicted. Me. I felt I was convicted like, too. Oh my gosh. I felt convicted too. Clear my calendar. <laughs> Take me on a holiday. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, it's like, you know, I was actually thinking after this, I'm just going to go grab 20 minutes. Oh, like 20. Just, yeah. yeah, as much as I can, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to be still. Yeah, make that time. I mean, I woke up this morning, I was praying and I was praying for this and I was praying for the podcast and what mm. God was going to do. Yeah. Um, but even then, the, the distractions of life sneak oh, in. Always. And I just want to fight for that intimacy with God, fight mm. for that secret place with God, that quiet place. Um, I so love that you touched on that at the end as well, mm. the secret place. Because I think... Today's society, your currency is your reputation. Yeah, your performance, really. Your isn't performance. It? Yeah. I mean, even on social media, I'm in marketing. You know, it's about how many followers you have, how many likes you have, whether you have the blue tick or not. And that is, you know, that's the currency, like in youth at the moment. And that's really confusing. And I love that you unpacked about the secret place and that's where you find life when you're just in your secret place with God and you have that 
intimacy and secret relationship with him. Do you have the blue tick? I don't. Me neither. Oh. Me neither. I don't think I'll ever get the blue tick. I don't think I want it. Yeah, that's going to be the real OGs in the day. Now that you have to pay to get the blue tick, it's going to be all those who don't have it. They're, oh, they're a new level of authenticity. I don't even want, I don't want a blue tick. I want God's tick. Come on. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think today's conversation, you know, the thing that I'm always reminded about guys like John, like, I, you know, you're in awe of John. I'm like, this is my hero. I'm fangirling. Yeah. But the thing you've got to remember in all of this is that he's just done his history with God. Yeah. You know, and um, I, 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 I interview guys like John and I feel small. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. But here's, here's what I'd say. God doesn't want me to feel small. Mm. God wants me to yes. see uh, the story of a man who's just walked, he's, you know, 10, 15 years, longer mm. than I have. Mm. And the invitation for God to say, I don't want you to have my relationship with John. I want my relationship with Michael. Mm. I want, I want. Um, I don't want you to be in awe of John's relationship with me. I want you to be in awe of my desire for a relationship with you, mm. you know. And, and I've got to remember that because in our day and age, what we're doing to John is exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about John's performance. Yeah, you're right. And, and what, what we need to be encouraged is, is actually, you know, you know, Jess, what God wants is our heart. Yes. And, and if that means, that, you know, there's going to be a single mother listening to this, a mother of three kids. She yes. doesn't have time to go work out what John meant by soteriology or what a nomadic way of learning scripture is. Mm. They're overwhelmed already. And, and what they need to hear is, hey, uh, that, that point that I said to John as a reminder, but it was his point. <laughs> Tell you what you've got. Yeah. He you appreciated know, that. Pursue what you've got. I know. He, he appreciated his own teaching being fed back to him. <laughs> yeah. That's such a blessing. You it's know? so it's, good. Yeah. Um, and, and in the end of the day, we're, we're not going to be held accountable for how much like we were, how much we were like John Tyson. No. It's were we obedient to Christ? Yes. Were we faithful to what He called us to do? Yes. There's someone listening right now that's got physical and mental disabilities, yeah. and they will never be able to do what other people can. Mm. But the question is not, are they like John Tyson? The question is, have they become more like Jesus? Yeah. Have they have they actually allowed God to form them in the quiet, secret place? Absolutely. And that's a good challenge for us to remember yeah. um, today. That actually the way God wants Jess to pray is the way Jess prays. Mm. And when you struggle, go pray the Lord's Prayer. Mm. You know, that's, that's, that should be the, if you hopped up in front of Catalyst that day and you just said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Mm. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory for now and forever. Amen. Mm. That would have been enough. I wish I did that now. Because that's what Jesus taught us to pray. Yeah. And how often do we try to come up with our own words and try to be good enough when it's like, well, you just Always. just pray what Jesus did. Well, that's what John said, didn't he? He said, pray the Bible. Like, rarely do we do that. We pray no. what we want. We pray what we wish for. We pray what we long for. But we don't ever really pray the Bible that much. No. So that's something that I'll definitely have to start doing. Yeah. Well, it's been a good podcast today. Oh, yes. amazing. It was yeah. so good. Is this so a good. podcast or a vodcast? Because we're doing video, right? But it's, it's, a, it's streamed on a pod and, and YouTube as well. It's a hybrid cast. Yeah, great. It's, it's high cast. <laughs> That's new. Okay. We might cut that out. <laughs> no, um, we won't. <laughs> well, we've got some more interviews coming up and I'm we're really so excited. I'm so excited. Hey, um, if people want to get in contact with us or they have questions, uh, where might they email? Um, they could email us at hello at church.nu. Yeah, or? Or 
podcast. podcast at church.nu. Let's go to the second one. <laughs> okay. Let's go to the second one. As the Poor Pod- Marcel is going to get a yeah, 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 yeah. Podcast at church.nu. Podcast at church.nu. And um, if they, how it might be helpful for people to interact with our podcast and our video. Like, what um, can they do? If you enjoyed our episode, guys, make sure you like, subscribe, share it to one of your friends, share it to someone that's been in faith for a while that needs that uh, revitalization, or share it with someone that is curious about faith or new on their journey Mm -hmm. and that need that uh, navigation, that help with their journey. So, yeah, that'll be great. Let us know how you go uh, in the comments. Email your questions through. You might have a suggestion of someone you'd like us to interview. Yeah. Doesn't need it. It might be you. Uh, it might be, we're, we're, we're going with some pretty big names here, but we're actually just seeking for people faithfully following mm. Jesus. So we'll whoever that might be, whoever that might be. Guys, thanks so much for joining us today. And why don't I, just why don't I finish with prayer? That I seems love that. A why don't I pray the Lord's Prayer for us all today? Great. Let's pray, hey? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. Mm. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Mm. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, both now and forever. Amen. 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 See you soon, friends. See ya. So good. Thanks for listening. We hope we passed on some valuable knowledge on how you can become and lead a life more like Jesus. If this message inspired you, please make sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss a single podcast or share it with a friend. And for more information and resources on what we discussed today, please visit church.nu slash becoming. See you next time and God bless.